Morning, everyone, and uh, I want to add my happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Uh, in the spirit of Father's Day, uh, and all men that are fathers and all men that are just men and single here, I want to do a little uh, competition here to start off, because dads are really into that, you know, football and that kind of thing. Uh, this thing, this quiz, though, is a uh, quiz about number one songs that have the word love in it. Okay, from 1955 to 2011. So, if you know the answer, you're just going to blurt it out, yell it out, and we have some valuable, valuable prizes after our game show here today. All right, here we go. Complete this song title from the year 1955. Love is a many splendid thing. Who said that first? Right over here? Oh, back there? Well, you're only 30. What's the matter? How did you know that song? The hit from, this hit from, uh, number one hit from 1956, Love Me Tender, was sung by... Elvis Presley, very good. I think it was someone over here. Come on, work, bring it up. Bring it up over here. Complete this number one 1963 hit by the Beatles. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not. <laughs> Holy. Uh, actually, I just wanted to hear you say yeah, 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 yeah in church. So that's why I put that. In 1965, the Righteous Brothers went number one with their song, You've Lost That. Love me. Oh, you guys are good. All right, this 1970 hit was the only number one hit song by the Partridge Family. First service had it like that. There you go. Who said that? Raise your hand, sir. Okay, that reveals his TV watching taste right there. The Partridge Family. Okay, in 1974, Olivia, Olivia Newton-John topped the charts with her ballad, I blank love you. Honestly love you. Very good. Was that over here? Okay. Who was that? Raise your, was that you? There you go. Okay, thanks. We got it. Keep, you can put your hand down now. Okay. <laughs> All right, in 1982, Joan Jett and the Heartbreak, or in the Blackhearts, went number one to the song? I love rock and roll. There you go, very good. I love rock and roll. He's an 80s guy. All right, in 1985, in the 1985 movie, Back to the Future, Huey Lewis and the News went number one with the song, The Power of, oh, I just said it, The Power of Love. Okay. <laughs> Hey, I'm a practice professional speaker. How about that? Speaking of movies, this 1992 chart stopper from the movie The Bodyguard, starring Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston, is called I Will Always Love You. Way to go, left side of the room. While still speaking of, mov speaking of movies, the 1998 mega hit love song in the movie The Titanic, sung by Celine Dion, does not have the word love in it, but is named That guy is good. <laughs> wow, way to go. All right, these next two might be tougher. First Service had a lot of trouble with these two. In 2003, Beyonce and Jay-Z teamed up to sing? Crazy. crazy in Love. Very good, right? That was our announcer this morning, huh? Yeah, she's crazy in love with her husband. There you go, way to go. Number, and finally, in 2011, the number one song, We Found Love, was sung by these two artists. Who said it right over here? There you go, Rihanna and Calvin. Talk to him. He's an expert over there after the service. <laughs> all right. Hey, thank you for playing. We have some valuable, valuable game show uh, consolation prizes for all of you who did not answer anything. Uh, but listen, the topic today is love. Uh, we're talking about the kind of love that God desires to build into our hearts, uh, in our, not only our hearts, but our minds and hands and feet, in increasing measure, day after day, year after year. Please don't make the mistake of leaving here thinking, Craig told us to be a more loving person, so I'll do behavior modification and make myself become a more loving person. Don't start chanting, be more loving, be more loving, be more loving. Uh, don't do that. Instead, think of it this way. 
God's dream is that every person would allow Jesus to form them into a person who increasingly thinks, feels, and acts like Christ would if he were in our place. God's dream is that we would increase in our capacity to demonstrate love to anyone who comes across our path. In other words, if someone claims to be a Christian, a Christ follower, then, the, then doing the loving thing every time out and in every situation would be manifested in their words, actions, looks, and touches. You don't take a step of faith necessary to do life with Jesus just to get to heaven, although that is a wonderful benefit and something we all look forward to. But we trust in Jesus' trustworthiness, that's the word for faith, in order to be his student and be a part of him being our teacher is that we'd, we'd increasingly become more loving people to ordinary people in the ordinary situations that he brings across our path every day. Okay, so what does this love look like that Jesus is trying to form in us? Well, in the text today, we're going to see some of the uh, various aspects of love that we can practice in order to be transformed in this kind of love, Christ-like love that I'm talking about. How do we express that love? Paul is going to flesh out the essence of love, and I'm going to suggest for each of the six that I'm going to do today, there's 15 of them in the passage we're going to look at, I'm going to suggest some practices that we have to engage in for each of the characteristics of love if we're going to get better at this thing called loving. Now, if any of you had any private lessons about anything, tennis, uh, you know, of anything, anybody had private lessons, anything, tutoring, whatever, it requires a certain degree of humility, doesn't it? Uh, Because you have to admit either I'm not very good at that or I need some help in that area. It also requires a certain degree of want to and earnestness to to take those lessons because you want to get better at these things. Now, if you're here today, you have unwillingly signed up for a semi-private lesson on loving, and uh, I'm going to assume that you want to get better at it. In order for, to take private lessons, two things are needed, an instructor, and then we must talk about and practice the skills that you need to get better. And just before I read this text, I want to dismiss a myth uh, right now. If we just let our lives drift, we will not just drift into becoming a more loving person. Drift is always towards self. And if we do nothing, we'll become increasingly self-centered people. We have to scrape and claw to be intentional about getting better at loving if you want to get better at that, that trait. Don't forget, grace is always opposed to earning, but not to effort. So, I'm going to ask you to muster some effort to seriously adopt these love practices in order to become a more loving person with Jesus' help and strength. Uh, So here's the passage for today. You've heard it a lot at weddings. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of when it's been wronged. It's never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, what we read today is a list of 15 characteristics of love that with our practicing and Jesus' help and indwelling uh, and guidance, these 15 traits of love we can do. For each of the traits today that I'm tackling, like I said before, I'm going to give you a skill so you can practice that starting today, starting right after the service, in your home, wherever you find yourself. So, the uh, first one here is love is patient. 
Now, most of us marvel at patient people. You see that, that young mother cradling that child, even though that little mini-me sinnerling is screaming bloody murder in her ear for over an hour. We look at that and think, wow, how does she do it? She's patient. You see a teacher working with a student who just doesn't get it for the 10th time, but has not raised his or her voice, not shown exasperated expressions on their face. They try another angle. Or you see the frequent flyer having been bumped off three consecutive flights, patiently waiting in the gate area for a chance uh, for one last flight, while another group is at the counter discussing the mother and the ancestry of the ticket agent. How can they be so patient? How can that person be so patient? Now, these people, plus many of you, have practiced a love response that I call the five-second pause. It could be the quarter-second pause or the 20-second pause, depending on your temperament. You make the call yourself. And without oversimplifying this, patient people have mustered a certain skill that others of us have some work to do on yet. It's the skill of self-restraint. And that self-restraint usually starts with a pause. It could be a quarter-second pause, like I said, or 10 or whatever. But the patient, patient people feel the same amount of frustration and irritation as we do. But they make a different choice than the rest of us make in those emotion-packed situations. They choose self-restraint instead of acting out, even if it's just for five seconds. Now, take a look at these three verses that will be on the screen here, one after the other. This is uh, Proverbs 14. Patient people have great understanding. Here's another one. A person of understanding holds their tongue. And finally, a person of understanding is even-tempered. Now, the social scientists talk about this as practicing impulse control. Babies are not born with this. They feel like crying, relieving a bodily urge. They make our lives miserable sometimes but they, because they lack impulse control. So as they get older, parents teach them how to ask politely, how to wait for certain things, how to deal with something when the answer is no. How can we participate in building self-restraint? What does a five-second pause look like? Uh, well, the first two seconds is do nothing. Don't respond to your impulse. To say something sarcastic, roll your eyes, cross your arms, make a gesture. Just stop for two of those five seconds. And then in the last three seconds, have a mature conversation about what's going on. And maybe love will win the day. Maybe we don't have to be jerks. Maybe we don't have to go back and cycle back around and apologize after making a mess. Now, the Greek word for patience is taking a long time to boil. Patience means keeping the burner down. <laughs> it waits, it listens, it's slow to boil. And the key to developing patience is understanding. You know, patient people have great understanding, as we, as we said before. You ever notice how impatience uh, stems from a lack of understanding? Uh, I taught in the public schools for five years uh, in between my career in young life and being, on, being a senior pastor for about 20 years. And in most every class that I taught in, in the public schools, there was one student who was just plain disruptive. You teachers, in the, teachers know what I'm talking about. They would talk during a, a talk or a lecture, destroy labs, distract others, and always say the wrong thing at the wrong time. At times I would go and look up their records uh, a little bit, and, or I'd just talk to them themselves and... I'd find out about their home life. One student had ADD in a big way. Another one had been just, just been kicked out of the house and had nowhere to go. They'd have to scrap for lunch and beg for lunch at, uh, with their friends at lunchtime. 
One of them had so little parent involvement that it was a, a wonder the student had any behavior restraints at all. Now, when I understood that, I had a lot more patience with them. Now, parents, you understand your child better than anyone here. Thus, you have more patience with them. Have you taken the time to understand why a parent might find it hard to discipline a child in the way you think it should be done? You're getting ticked off because that kid seems to be running rampant. And then you find out the mother has, has a history of physical abuse in her past. And she has sworn long ago that some things about how her child is going to be raised will not happen. Now you understand why. Knowing this, you're a little more patient with the situation because you understand. Okay, moving on to number two. Love is kind. Loving people do kind things for each other. Uh, in 1 John uh, 3.18, uh, well, there's the, there's the clue again. I did it again like I did the first service. Okay, uh, <laughs> says, let's not, 1 John 3.18 says, let's not love one another in word only, but with deeds as well. Words are important, but they can turn cheap and become empty. If, they're not express, if there are not expressions of kindness that go along with it. Now, if we're going to grow in kindness, we're going to translate love into deeds of kindness. What skill do we need to get uh, better at? It's the skill of creativity. Now, creativity uh, never says whatever. Okay? The kind, creative person scrolls through some options and asks, what manifestation of love is going to mean the most to the person that I'm thinking of? Uh, I've been on a couple of houseboating trips uh, when we had the use of a very nice wakeboard boat. Uh, the first year we went, I couldn't get up at all, mainly because there wasn't a wakeboard my size uh, to hold me up, nor any boots that could fit my feet. Uh, so the second year we went, Lee, the owner of the boat, pulled out these special boots and an oversized wakeboard just for me to use so I could have a shot at getting it. That was real kindness. I can remember kindness every time uh, when I was a pastor, the building that we were able to buy and renovate, uh, every time I walked through a doorway at the church. Because when Lee, same guy, he's got a little money, uh, was designing the remodel, he purposely made each doorway six inches higher than standard so that I wouldn't have to duck or scrape the top of my head when I went through a door. You know, that was really kind. In all these cases, people thought in advance, they got creative, they scrolled through some options, and they decided what would be a meaningful expression of love. So many of us fall short in loving because we don't press the creativity envelope. And we look at someone we love, we have an idea that crosses our mind uh, as to how we might express love to them through kindness. And then we don't push ourselves to creatively follow through on that and ask what manifestation of love would register deeply with them. And if we don't act on that, pretty soon we'll forget about it and grab the remote and we're into a TV show and the idea is gone. Here's your first homework assignment. By midnight tonight, every single one of you, in some area or arena of your relationships, think of one act of kindness that pushes the envelope of creativity for you and then act on it. I know some of you guys, men in the room here are thinking, okay, I'll finally clean out the garage like I told her I'd do a couple of months ago. Or you think, oh, all right, I'll mow the lawn now that it's six inches above the sidewalk. No, that's chore obligation, guys, okay? I want you to push the ball up the field a bit and think of something creative you could do. 
Don't stop at the first option that comes to your mind. Scroll through uh, and push your thinking a bit and then express kindness. Get it on the drawing board before midnight. And by the way, though I've highlighted uh, acts of kindness that require some energy and creativity, please don't forget that little everyday acts of kindness. Opening doors for ladies. Looking for opportunities to help. Helping a neighbor with some yard work. Complimenting your spouse, your children, your family members, your coworkers when you catch them doing small things well. It's easy to point out what isn't rather than the good thing of what is. And please don't forget the kindness that Jesus showed when he stopped the stampede of people heading to Jairus' house where his son was dying. She, he stopped to talk to a woman who had reached out her hand and touched his shirt and was healed. The text said, says, Jesus listened to her whole story. What a kind thing to do. He didn't have to, he didn't have to do that. Everybody was saying, hurry up, hurry up. And then he sends her on her way with the, calling her the name daughter. It's a term of deep affection. Nowhere else in the New Testament does Jesus ever say that to anyone else. Daughter. What a kind thing to say. Everyday kindness is expressed in our words, actions, looks, and touches. We can do that anytime, any day. All right, third one. Love does not envy. The Jewish word for jealousy or envy is quana, which means to be intensely red color red. Red face jealousy. That's what envy is. Envy is like fire. It'll soon consume everything. And so it is with the heart that is even a flicker of envy in it. This uh, phrase from the Song of Solomon, jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire. Now folks, it's pretty hard to love someone deeply when every time you're with that person, you find something or focus on something that he or she has that you don't. You start to fixate on that and it envy undermines love. You know, it's very easy to build up a subtle resentment towards someone who has a position you don't have, has the kind of house you wish you had, who has a spouse that you haven't had yet, or who has a a slimmer body to hang a great wardrobe on, which you don't have either. Try it. If you have envy in your spirit, it's hard to love people. So what do you do with people who have more than you or who have something you wish you had from children to happiness to hair? Do you avoid them? Uh, Do you spend beyond your means? No, the skill that's needed to deal with this is self-contentment. In the presence of people who have more money, more toys, more power, more influence, more position, or relational happiness, you have to work harder, we have to work harder than we think to keep envy at bay in order to love them deeply. Here's an exercise that helps me to love people without letting envy mess it up. I ask myself, Craig, What do you really deserve? What do you deserve to have in this life? Let me answer that theologically, not economically, all right? Uh, Romans 6, 23 says, the wages, in other words, what I've earned of my shortcomings and failures, the wages of sin is death. And they're talking about the second death. Though it may be a shock to someone, I am a moral failure. I have earned the title imperfect. I'm entitled to the compensation package of sin. That is death, separation from God in this life and eternity. And I have to be really blunt with myself. Craig, what do you deserve from God? What judgment from God do I deserve for batting 320 on the being good scale and having an uncountable amount of errors? Answer, I deserve death. 
I deserve hell, eternal separation from God. That's the truth about me. I have done that which deserves to be eternally apart from him. But fortunately, the verse continues. <laughs> but the, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God goes on to say, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a gift which many of you and I have received. So I'll tell myself, Craig, you're in the gravy because of Christ. You have a God on your side and in all circumstances. You have the promise of heaven in the next life. You're set. In addition to that, you have a family that love you, loves you, friends that you treasure, spiritual gifts that help Christ followers, a healthy body and mind. Admit it, Craig, you're loaded. You're loaded. I have more than I deserve. And this is the key, folks. You have to add one more statement to that. No matter what anybody else has, I have more than I deserve. When I get that straight, I can muster the skill of self-contentment. I'm freed up to be able to love people who are smarter than me, wealthier than me, funnier than me, and have a higher position than me. I can walk into their homes, ride in their cars, and think, you know, I don't really need that. I have more than I deserve. One more trick you can try is take a pad of sticky notes and put words like temporary, eventual rust, headed for the dump, somebody else's one day, on any possession that you own, in your house, in your garage, whatever. And then put on your mirror, as you look at yourself, this sticky note. God's one of a kind, never to be duplicated, cherished beyond measure, absolute treasure, whom he loves and adores with unlimited passionate love. Now, try that. All right, moving on. Uh, number four has two of them combined, four and five. Love does not boast, it is not proud. Now, any manifestation of arrogance undermines love. If there's any manifestation of a pecking order, that's pride, and you can forget about love if that's happening. You all know about pecking orders, don't you? Owner, boss, foreman, crew chief, college students on summer break, and finally, the illegal immigrant. The problem with pecking orders is when you're the shortest kid in the class, the minority family, the homeless person, or the janitor. It's not pleasant to be plankton in the food chain. Now, if churches have pecking orders, it destroys the spirit of the church. Pastor, elders, staff, lay people, members, visitors, the crowd. If anyone on those upper-level people believe that they deserve some privilege or extra perks or respect because of their position, then pride is at the door, and boasting isn't, bragging isn't far behind. The skill necessary to counteract uh, this and counteract boasting and pride is the skill of sober self-judgment, self-assessment. Uh, Philippians 2.3 says, In humility, considers, uh, consider others better than yourself. Now, please hear me. That text is not saying that you are nothing, that you're pawn scum, okay? Watch out for that because God sees you as his precious child. It's not saying, or it is saying, know your place. Do some honest self-assessment and have a sane estimate of your own capabilities by the light of the faith God has given you. So here's the test to tell whether you're growing in this area. Are you content with serving in an area that you're excited about no matter what amount of applause you get for it? Does it fit your gifts, and do people around you benefit? 
then you're in the right place. Secondly, do you applaud the giftness, giftedness and the success of others? Third, look to the person on your left. Go ahead. Okay? Look to the person on your right. They matter to God too. Do you see them as God's one-of-a-kind treasure? Do you celebrate that? Whether they have Down syndrome, were divorced, or from the gay community? You see, you have to have an accurate self-assessment in order to do this. You are important. You matter to God, and you matter to each other. Don't think, but don't think you're more important than anyone else. All right, one last one for today. After I have put the same estimate verse and forgot about it. Love is not rude, okay? Here you have to master the skill called courtesy. You might think, we're going to talk about courtesy today? Listen, rudeness expresses itself, expresses itself in, the way, in the way something is said, the timing of the requests and actions, the tone of voice. Someone who's rude says what they want, when they want, to whomever they want, in the way they want. Rude means shameful or disgraceful behavior. Now, there's a phrase that we in America love to throw around a lot. It's called, I know my rights. Okay, you do. That's fine. That's good. But God calls us to a higher, nobler concern. Not, what are my rights, but what's the loving thing to do here? Do you have the right to dominate a conversation? Yes. But is it the loving thing to do? Do you have the right to pretend you don't hear your wife speaking? I suppose so. <laughs> but you're going to be in big trouble. No, but is it loving, okay? Is it within your rights to bark at a waitress or snap at the kids? Yes. But is it the loving, loving way to act? You know, have you ever looked at the courtesy of Jesus? Probably not, so let me help you out. First, he's always knocking before entering. Remember that phrase in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking about your heart. He owns it. He made it. If anyone has the right to barge in, he does. But he awaits the opening of, the door, of your heart's door and your invitation for him to cross the threshold of your life. Here's another one. He even opens doors for you. Remember Paul's words? He said, The Lord opened a door for us at the city of Troas. There's only one reason you open a door for a woman, men. It's respect. If Christ opens the door of, un of employment for you, relationship opportunities, he must have tremendous respect for us. Here's another one. Christ pulls out a chair for you. This is from, from Ephesians. God raised Jesus from the dead and gave us a seat with him in the heavens. Let me tell you something, men. Whenever you see a single mom in your midst, in a dining situation, you pull out that chair. One mom said to me, wow, it's been a long time since anyone did that. So parents, the laws of courtesy are a big deal. Please, thank you, pardon me, sorry, may I please be excused, and more. My father-in-law, who died about 13 years ago, he reminded me of what my parents taught me as a child as well. He would run to the door to open it for his daughters. If he was behind, he'd, he'd sit in a restaurant, he'd see this 75-year-old guy you know, sprinting to get to the door. He always remembered waitresses and waiters' names after the first time, and he called them by name the rest of the evening. 
It sounds rather easy, even simple. I know a lot of you do this. But courtesy is practicing love in a way you might never get any applause for. Well, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. You know, you could take on any one of these six or all 15 marks and ask God's help to practice one skill a month. Lord, increase my capacity for patience by practicing the five-second pause. Imagine in a year and three months, if you did one of these phrases a month, imagine how much larger your capacity to love in Jesus' name might be. I pray for you and for me that God would make it so. So let's pray. Lord, when we're impatient, restrain us. When we see an opportunity, remind us to act kindly. When we see what others have, remind us of what we deserve and help us to realize we're loaded. Make us downwardly mobile, seeing others as more important than ourselves. And I pray that Christ followers in this church would mount a crusade to banish any form of rudeness in in their midst. Make courtesy, the courtesy you showed to us, mark our behavior always so that we would be most known for being loving people, loving followers of yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.